Hi, this is uh, Bukish Talk, and uh, uh, today we have uh, uh, a guest uh, who is currently residing on, on Hawaii. Uh, that's uh, Anjaya Kuna. Hi, hi, Anjaya. Hi. Yeah, this is my artist studio. This is where I make all my books and my, my artwork. Um, I'm in Hawaii right now, and you can actually hear the frog. Oh, those are the frogs. I, I was wondering what kind of tropical creature that was. Yeah, they're, they're called koki frogs. And uh, my co-host is Pavel, and he isn't in Moscow for, for some strange reason. He's in one of the uh, medieval Russian capitals, uh, uh, city of Novgorod. Hi, Pavel. <laughs> Hi, everyone. And we are going to discuss uh, book binding and uh, paper making in in probably a series of uh, bookish talks. Uh, uh, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, so, I guess we will ask you, Anjaya, to uh, start with uh, describing your path to you know to your creative uh, uh, to current moment to to finding book binding and paper making. How how did it go for you? I've always been drawn to building. Um, so bookbinding has such a sculptural aspect to it. And it also has uh, a multimedia aspect to it. And what inspires a lot of my projects is material, um, especially materials to nature. So when I took a class in college, our class was to make a book and it was less sculptural and it was more about learning InDesign and formatting the pages. Um, on top of that, there was another layer of creating a project um, to put and document into your book. So it was very <laughs> multi-level. I had to create a physical project, document it, um, format it in InDesign, print it, and then create a book. And so I actually thought I hated bookbinding because of the printing aspect. <laughs> uh, I always try to avoid technology when it comes to my work. Um, but I still remember really enjoying, you know, cutting the Davy board, sewing the pages together, playing with the glue, learning about all the different types of bindings as well, and how there's so many possibilities. So, um, I actually, that was six years ago, I believe. And I didn't touch bookbinding again until three years ago. I started freelancing uh, when I moved to Hawaii. And one of my first bookbinding projects was for um, this celebrity that I can't mention. <laughs> um, and I had to create a triangle book, like, triangle like this <laughs> that opened from the top like a flower and it was her poetry and all her illustrations um it was a lot of fun but it just wasn't fun working for her and so that took me a step further and it motivated me to make my own work with book binding um so that's when i started getting really creative but i had no money <laughs> um well, as, yeah. as it happens with, with young bookbinders and, and young yeah. people in general. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm on 
the internet, looking at a book press. What? It's $3,000. <laughs> well, you um, know how the saying goes, uh, the only way to make a, uh, a small fortune in, uh, in book binding is to start with a big one. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so I mustered anything I could. I've, I've had book binding, basic book binding tools over the years. Um, but really I relied so much on natural materials and it became a very unique parameter in all the designs that I've made. Um, so much that I'm so intimidated with starting leather, but I'm also so in love with this new process of using what's local. Um, and anything shipped to Hawaii, it's the price plus the shipping costs. So I really try to avoid uh, buying things from the mainland, which is the United States. Um, so I try to find local materials and there's a lot of ranch land, uh, ranch land here. Um, no one wants to process their own leather. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the power of social media, I always try to ask the people who follow me and they actually sent me a bunch of leather scraps. Um, so I like to think of my process as sustainable, um, upcycled material or anything biocentric. It's, it's, it's always interesting to see how uh, some sorts uh, some types of constraints uh, uh, improve your creativity and make you to find new ways and new approaches to, to design. And uh, this, this perfectly works in bookbinding because uh, we've already had several uh, guests who uh, had some constraints and uh, this uh, uh, brought them to create uh, beautiful uh, bindings and uh, unusual structures. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see that uh, you, you also <laughs> found this approach and fo follow this approach. And, uh, yeah, I remember. And, it's also, and it's also reminiscent of how collage itself uh, appeared. Uh, it, uh, those were poor artists who had no, uh, no materials but what laid around and yet they gave us a new art form. Yeah, I, so I'm in my studio right now, but um, I've, I first started in my living room on the floor because we didn't have any table space. Um, and it was, it was a little challenging because I had cats just walking all over my wheels <laughs> or just, like, they just sprawl themselves over the paper like get off the paper <laughs> um i need to show this video to my sister she's she's a great cat lover oh yeah <laughs> yeah i uh, i found two kitties on the farm i live at and so i adopted them too and i thought one of them was a boy even my vet said it was a boy and then all of a sudden i was like why is my boy cat pregnant and Nine months later, or six months later, I have three more kittens. <laughs> and that's Hawaii for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I had to really hone my creative resourcefulness. So instead of a book press, I'd have stacks of volcanic rocks, you know. Um, for a sewing frame, I would have long, like, eight feet strings of twine just to tie it from the ceiling or like from somewhere to another thing 
Um, and it was fun for a while. And then the more I see other people with their professional process, the more I got discouraged with bookbinding. It just felt really unattainable. Um, but I had a really good support system um, from different bookbinders around the world. And they said, you know, they were very honest with me. Oh, it took me 11 years to get where I am, six years, or I've been doing this, you know, for 30 years. So I've just, it's been only three years for me. And I just have to stick it out until I get there. <laughs> well, in, in, in my opinion, uh, you definitely need to have, uh, to have some fun with painting and uh, uh, you need to uh you know well you, obviously uh, every person has a right to be discouraged and upset uh, at uh, at some moments of their uh creative path and uh well this is this is also important uh and uh, uh i obviously had uh, uh really uh low moments in my book buying past as, as well uh but uh, uh on the other hand uh, you can really do a lot of things uh, even without expensive equipment and uh, tools and uh, uh, when when i started i i didn't have access to anything because i i lived in back in russia and uh, uh there is a, there is a huge problem with vintage uh, tools and there is a problem with uh, ordering tools from abroad because uh, you you need to order them from the united states or from europe and that's expensive and takes a lot of time, and the package could 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 be lost and 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 route. So <laughs> it's it's always tricky. Uh, but then I, I made some some of the tools for myself, and uh, some of the friends helped, as you mentioned. Uh, the, there definitely is a community, or uh, uh, some friends can help you. And uh, uh, once again, it's it's great to see that uh, you you continue your your uh, to follow this path and uh, to continue to experiment. So what's what's next for you? What future experiments are waiting? Oh wow! Um, I, okay, so I'm obsessed with these videos online. It's like surviving in the wilderness, building my own bamboo house, and I've been brainstorming an idea of how to do that, but with a book instead of a house <laughs> so something really big and working with bamboo because it's so malleable um and so durable and also just has so many uh uses with it the way you play with the material how thin you strip it um they're also really easy building blocks and you don't need any expensive tools you just need a machete um, and, you know, I, this has been in my head for a really long time because every time I get so frustrated that I don't have a certain tool, I always just want to go whack something in the wilderness and just make it there. <laughs> so that's, that's my next step. Um, I really want to also curate an exhibition for a local artist here in Hawaii. There is a very tiny, tiny a uh, community of bookbinders, um, and not just in Hawaii, like Big Island, but all of the islands. <laughs> like I could in the palm of my hand. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, yeah, curating 
is one of the things I'm really interested in in my career path, um, other than exhibiting and making artwork. Um, and I'm also writing a book. So as you can tell, I like have too many ideas. Uh, <laughs> and I always end up finishing them, but it's like, it's like well, I start. That, that's, that's impressive. I also have a lot of <laughs> ideas, but I usually finish only a couple of them. <laughs> it takes me a while. Quality but... for quantity, Stepan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so actually the first book I made um, was a combination of fashion, photography, uh, my own writing, and interviews. So if you guys actually want to see it, um, don't be impressed. Don't be excited, because it was my very first book. So very plain, <laughs> but very thick. And let's see. It's just a bunch of my photography. Like, this is my dad. Some of my writing. And what kind of gold this is. But so some pages will open up. This was the very first book I made. Um, it's really hard and, to see. And uh, <clears throat> I can see how it would make sense that you bound it yourself. It's all yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. It's terrible. Well, uh, I, I should say that uh, for, for many people and for many bookbinders, their first book uh, uh, had uh, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, downsides and... Uh, uh, ugly moments in, in it uh, and uh, for example for many book binders uh, uh, you, you get uh, curved uh, covers or uh, the book wouldn't open properly or close properly oh, because yeah. it was uh, too tight or not too tight or something like that your books opens perfectly and it's flat so it's it's already much better yeah. than for many people <laughs> <laughs> you know, this re uh, reminds me, a, fr a friend of mine was uh, showing me her uh, uh, drawings and she was, oh, this, uh, this is my teenage year, I, I'm so cringe, I, uh, I can't even look <laughs> at them. And I look at them it's, and it's much better than, uh, uh, than what I can do now. And I look at her and I hate her. I mean, it's <laughs> so good. You know, it's like Dura. I made, made this uh, self-portrait at 14 year, uh, years old. You look at it and you, well, I'm not drawing anymore. <laughs> Why bother? <laughs> so I agree. A, 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 a perfectly functioning book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's lasted for five years. It hasn't fallen apart. It's just aesthetically ugly on the outside, you know. Um, <laughs> but from, from that to this, uh, hopefully you could see it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bat wing, right? It's a bat wing. This is um, the Ope Apea. 
it in Hawaiian it translates to half leaf, um, half leaf of the taro leaf. So taro is a very important root, um, an edible root in Hawaii. And so the leaves are heart shaped, and when you cut it in half, it looks like that opiapia bat. And so the bat is a um, one of the endemic mammals in Hawaii, but it's completely endangered because of all the hotel, resort, and apartment building development. Um, and so their population is dwindling in numbers. So as part of the process, I had collected a bunch of invasive and non-native uh, plant fibers to make this paper. And then at the time it was pruning season uh, for a lot of the coffee farms. So the bones, and I, I wish you could see it better. So the coffee branches I used as bones um, and it worked really, really well. Um, yeah, so I also used uh, mango paper for the book cover and then black cotton paper for the inside because they're nocturnal animals. Um, yeah, so from the first book to this, I became a lot more daring with the sculptural aspect of it and focusing less on what's inside. Um, I go back and forth a lot. I really like writing. I love poetry. So for some reason, I can't put the two together because it's just a lot of mental creativity for each, for writing and then also art making and, and book writing. <laughs> One day, it'll, it'll combine. <laughs> that's, that's interesting that you say that uh, you are getting more daring with the sculptural aspects and this, with experiments with the materials because uh, we, we, we had a discussion with, uh, with the bookbinder uh, from, uh, from the Boston area uh, earlier this year with uh, Daniel Kelman. Uh, he told us a lot about his experiments with uh, uh, book sculptures and sculptural elements in books and uh, how when he was uh, much younger uh, in, in late uh, 1970s or early 1980s, uh, he had this, uh, uh, he took part in, in some sort of uh, bookbinding event and uh, showed some of his uh, sculptural books. And uh, one member of the audience was like, but that's not a book, it's a sculpture. Why are you showing it this to us? That, that wouldn't be a book. book. Book doesn't need to have all these sculptural elements on the cover or something. And I'm so happy that, uh, you know, book arts uh, moved forward so far from this <laughs> distant point in the past. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't jog people's reality. Um, I feel like you got to slowly convince them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, <clears throat> about the uh, the public for your work. I mean, about the clients. Who do you make your uh, uh, work with? Do you make your work uh, with a certain person in mind, or does it fully come from you? Um, when I started working for myself, it was just for me. And then I got a little confused because... I was trying to put my business cap on and I started trying to make relatable books. Um, and so I do a lot of research, like for example, 
what sells at Walmart? <laughs> and it was, I mean, they're, they're still pretty journals. It's just not the market that I would fit into. But I was also relying on my, my art to, um, to, you know, financially, you know, to fund me. But I'd go to these markets and I wasn't doing very well because I'd spend, you know, like 12 hours on this one book of very select materials and people are shocked from <laughs> the price. And it was really, I'm just not a good business person. I think that's what it is. I wish I could just like tell a story and tell them it's magical and like a dragon used to have it or something. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll buy it. Um, it's definitely another uh, another skill to have to sell your But I was just having trouble selling it as a product. I could sell it as art, but people are looking at me like, I want your product, not I want your art. So every now and then, there will be somebody who comes along and they want to hear the full story they want to know where I, what inspired it, what materials are being used. And then they love it so much you could see the light beam in their eyes. And, and that's when I know like, they want this. This is meant for them. It's connecting with them. Um, and that doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it feels really good. It's, it's interesting uh, how um, book arts and uh, uh, book restoration sort of inter intersects uh, uh, in this in in this way uh, because uh, uh, when i had uh, uh, my experience with the uh, repairing and re restoring books i i had this issue all the time uh, that people come to me and uh, bring me uh, some sort of a book uh, for repairs and uh, i i assess it and then i tell the price and they're like oh it's so expensive i can buy uh, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a vintage or antique book, but I can buy another copy of it for I don't know half the price you you named for for the repairs. And I'm like, do you want your book to re to be repaired, or do you want just a new a better copy of this book? If you want your book to be repaired, then this is the 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 cost of the work, and uh, I cannot I cannot sell my work cheaper than you know than yeah. <laughs> Than it is, and uh, in in some ways with book arts it's the same. There, there there is a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of process and a lot of uh, you know emotion going in, into this uh, uh, work of art. And uh, well, there should be a price for that, at least you know in 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 uh, in in time that you spent on making the the object. So. Oh yeah. Uh, we recently ta like talked, uh, talked to experimental paper maker from Germany, and uh, he also uh, uh, he also talked about it. Well, if you've just spent a whole day making twelve leaves of paper, well, those leaves of paper cost that much, and you can't you can't sell them for less. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Actually, working for free. <laughs> Yeah, I I like to make this analogy. If if society still worked like a village, and there's the local blacksmith making their swords, you see his work. 
you see his workshop. You see literally the blood on his hands, the sweat on his face. Um, you see him working every single day. You know the person who gave him the medal. You know the person who gave him the rocks or whatever. Nowadays, you don't see the people making our things. And so people are really detached from how it's made. But I think if people saw that, I think they value the finished product way more. And it would be a more cherishable object in your life. So when, you, when people come to you and ask, can you please refurbish this book? It means a lot to me. Instead of having this very ignorant um, attitude towards like, oh, it costs that much. This doesn't mean anything to me. I'll just go buy one from Walmart. <laughs> And I think that's what's missing nowadays. I think that's something, um, it's not completely disappeared, but it's def definitely um, very rare now. This is, this is interesting that uh, uh, you, you mentioned this sort of uh, connection with the world of things and uh, a world of how uh, things are made because uh, uh, for me, in my path to bookbinding, uh, an important part definitely was uh, uh, one of my early jobs when I started to work as a sales manager at a large IT company and I, I sold these uh, server systems to uh, other large companies and uh, all the time I, I, I knew what I'm selling, I understood what are the parts, but uh, for me, the, all the process was just shifting papers, you know, from from one uh, from one stack to another, and I never really saw the the products I'm selling. So it was absolutely virtual for me. And uh, at at some point, I understood that I just can't continue to work this way and uh, moved on. And uh, uh, sometime later, I I found bookbinding. So <laughs> I found something that that's really you know, you can touch and uh, uh, process in, 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 in your own way. Uh, so uh, this so sort of connects with uh, what you described about uh, uh, living in, in this village style, a village style life when you uh, really know how the things are made and you, you see the sweat and blood uh, that's uh, led to uh, some objects to appear. So uh, that's, that's an interesting analogy. Pavel, you started to say something. Yeah, and could, could you talk a bit about your village, your support system, your people? Who are the other bookbinders? Who are the other uh, craftsmen around you? We know nothing about bookbinding in Hawaii, so we would love to hear more. And and uh, if I can add to this question, uh, are there many arts and crafts markets on Hawaii, and uh, how how this how does this work there? Uh, on Big Island, uh, there's the Donkey Mill Art Center on Kona side, the west side of the island. Um, and they're great. They're so open-minded and they're all about cross-generational teaching and how um, to create this intimate space to bring in the local community as well as tourism, but mainly local community. Um, and they bring, from, they bring people from Honolulu, but also from a lot of places around the world. And their biggest focus is sustainability, but also um, art and science. Um, what else? Um, storytelling, um, ancestry, 
and preserving Hawaiian culture. That's the utmost priority. And so they are actually my, my little art niche is the Donkey Mill Art Center. Um, when I first moved here, I worked on a coffee farm. And fortunately, my farmer is also an artist. And she's also a bookbinder. And we didn't know that until I, the day before I left. Because <laughs> I had returned home for a while. And before I had to go to the airport, she had her work. Because she had to submit it to some portfolio review. I was like, Tara, what? <laughs> You're a bookbinder? And I'm leaving? And now we can't talk about it. So um, anyway, I ended up coming back the farm and officially living here in Hawaii um, so my farmer Tara she's also she's been so close a great mentor a great friend a great bookbinder and also an artist in general um, yeah uh, but I've met other bookbinders through the Donkey Mill Art Center but they don't live here they live in Honolulu and there's only two of them and then the rest are people I um, chat with on social media, but they're like, you know, in Europe. Because <laughs> that's where all the bookbinders are, apparently. <laughs> well, well, as, 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 uh, as I found out uh, uh, over the past few years, uh, uh, there are lots of bookbinders in South America, not that it's, uh, you know, uh, much, yeah. much easier for you to reach yeah. <laughs> the European bookbinders. <laughs> yeah, I actually discovered one, yeah, um, in South America, and then I discovered one more in Vietnam, um, a few in Indonesia, because that's where all the mills are. <laughs> Um, and the Philippines too, but not as like, again, like, like sweatshops pretty much, but, but, oh, to answer your question about, um, how the, the village system, right? Um, here in Hawaii, barter and trade is, uh, is very common. So it's like, oh, I caught this huge fish today can I have some bread if I give you half of it? <laughs> and that happens a lot. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people go hunting for pigs here because they're invasive, but you know, they also need to eat. So I always ask, can I have some bones? Um, and I like to use a lot of bones in my work as well. And yeah, materials, people know I'm a bookbinder, so they'll, oh, hey, I came across this really cool recycled cork fabric. Oh, great, thank you. Or I finally found leather for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a give and take, you know? There's this understanding that we're here for each other. And, um, you know, if I see something, I will think about that person who needs it. And what, about, and what about uh, what about that sorry what about that center you mentioned is it an exhibition space do you sell your work there uh, you meet other artists it's an exhibition space and an educational space so they have lots of workshops classes fundraisers market events um art discussions 
it's it's not a school it's just like an arts uh, art center and that's where i started teaching um sorry there's like a lot of mosquitoes all of a sudden <laughs> uh i i i wanted to ask about the uh oh. uh big bones uh, <laughs> you mentioned that you you asked you asked for for people oh. to bring bring them to you and uh, have you ever tried to make bone folders with them no, and that has never occurred to me. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they are of any use uh, uh, because uh, because of their structure or something. Because uh, I, as far as I know, uh, uh, most of the bone folders are made with cow bones, but uh, I'm not sure. Maybe pig bones are okay with that. And uh, uh, what uh, what uh, I know that some people make bone folders with elk bones, for example, or antlers or something like that. And uh, yeah. uh, you can make some pretty interesting uh, custom uh, uh, designed uh, bone folders with some strange shapes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, for example, when I when, when I was studying at the uh, American Academy of Bookbinding in, in uh, Telluride, uh, Colorado, they uh, we spend some time uh, customizing our own bone, bone folders uh, for them to have some strange shapes, for example, curved ones or very thin ones so that you can, you know, work uh, uh, some uh, narrow, uh, in some narrow, narrow places or something like that. So uh, maybe there is uh, some space for your creativity there as well. Ooh, that's a great. <laughs> <laughs> I actually... I, I, I have a box of bones, if you'd like to see it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would, yeah, and I would also uh, uh, love to, uh, to see how you use bones in your, in your work. That, uh, that would be interesting. What do you mean? Yeah. I guess I guess we we we, we will uh, we will uh, uh, take a pause here and uh, make a cut and uh, then continue in the second part of, of uh, our talk. Uh, as usual, I I would like to say thanks to all of our patrons, all of, all of the members of our community. Uh, thanks to you, we can uh, make this podcast and uh, move forward and uh, bring new things and new ideas and new formats and. Uh, Thanks to you all. Uh, uh, please uh, like, uh, ring the bell, share the link, all that stuff. And uh, see you next time. Bye. See ya.